0: Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, M.D. Dr. Biteman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Biteman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Biteman, M.D.,
1: Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. This is CC with BB. Uh, The word coincidence here is a, a short way of saying meaningful coincidence. A meaningful coincidence is intended to include both synchronicity and serendipity. The definition stimulates a little conflict because the academics who study serendipity tend to resist including synchronicity in their thinking, while students of synchronicity tend to think that serendipity is the lesser concept. Synchronicity often involves psychological and spiritual, while serendipity concentrates mostly on the practical, but there is an overlap, a significant one, and by looking at the overlap, we get to understand each one separately. Our guest today uh, I met at a serendipity conference. Uh, As you will see, she represents, I think, a hybrid of both kinds of meaningful coincidences. Sabrina Sauer is an assistant professor of media studies at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands at the Research Center for Media and Journalism Studies. She obtained an MA in Media Studies, a PhD in Science and Technology Studies, and a professionally trained actor prior to writing her dissertation about user technology improvisation as a source for information and communication technology innovation. And she earned that at the University of 20, also in the Netherlands. I mean, she's an actor who also got a degree in technology. That's the kind of thing we're looking for, people who are able to go from different places and find the overlap. She has published about media studies, about media productions, the agency of users, the agencies of of users and technological artifacts, exploratory research, improvisation, yeah, and serendipity. Her current research focuses on the use of digital data and creative media production practices, social innovation, uh, there's a lot to be said about serendipity and social innovation. And then there's also serendipity and digital humanities. So, Sabrina, welcome to the Connecting with Coincidence show.
0: Ah, Thank you for having me. It's great.
1: You're yeah. welcome. You're welcome. Why don't you uh, tell us about... Uh, being in an audience one time and there was this guy talking and then some, something happened. Why, why don't you tell us about that one?
0: <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, I met my, uh, my husband uh, at, a, at a conference, actually the first media studies conference I ever attended, uh, having just uh, defended my dissertation in uh, science and technology studies. And um, I had no idea where to go at that conference. And I thought, you know what? I'll check out the work of one of my colleagues who is uh, studying performance and theater. Um, And uh, yeah, there was this guy chairing the session. And just as I was wondering about specifically how all the presenters were discussing actors um, and not so much this colleague of mine perhaps, but. But they were talking about actors as kind of props on the screen, you know, like part of the the scenery. And I thought, yeah, but these are em- these are people. Like it's an embodied performance. And so this this chairperson said asks exactly that question, saying, "Well, what about um, you know the the agency of the actor here in the decision making process of being creative? It's not only about the director making certain uh, decisions." And I thought, wow, that's that was, that was my question um, and it was not related really to the panel, uh, to the, the, uh, the, the subject directly. It was kind of a random topic, I would say. And I thought, wow, I really have to talk to that guy because that, that is amazing that we had the same question. Um, and so, yeah, I tapped him on the shoulder, the, you know, how things go. I saw him at the final party the, the, and uh, said, oh, I really like the most cheesy thing you can say, basically, like, I really liked your question. (laughs) And uh, yeah, we just kept talking. And um, yeah, now we both live, uh, you know, he moved from Canada to the Netherlands to be with me. So uh, yeah, it was a nice conversation.
1: (laughs) I guess it was a nice conversation. So, (laughs) So you, you were, you went up to him, but one of the things that we were talking about earlier is how you, um, have an intuitive sense for the subtext of what somebody might be thinking and feeling. Mm-hmm. And as you listen to that man answer or ask a question that was on your mind, yeah. what went on inside of you about him, except that I want to go talk to him some more. What did you figure out about him?
0: I Well, I thought this is somebody who has, a, I guess a like mind, but I got really excited. You know, it was like, uh, well, I guess it, it was also connected to attraction, right? That that I thought, oh, this is, what a great, great idea. What, oh, I want to talk to this person. Um, so that I felt that, well, I guess the spark there that I that I thought, oh, I, I want to, I need to talk to this person because we feel like we are in sync. And, uh, and, and you that- fe-
1: we- You felt like you were in sync. Yes. And- and part of the, you're an academic kind of, I mean, you're an academic, but you're also broader than a lot of people. You've had an acting experience and you rely on intu- intuition. So as you understand the word serendipity, yeah. and, and which, you've, which you've written about, uh, and you are among serendipitologists to some degree, um, how does serendipity in your mind relate to synchronicity?
0: Well, to me, serendipity, so the way in which how I approach the idea of serendipity um, is from, a, like, I take a process perspective there. I don't think that there's this, you know, the way in which many people define serendipity as, as a, a moment in time that afterwards you, you retroactively think about, oh, that was a coincidence or that was a, that was a fruitful coincidence, as they say, and whereas I think that it is um, serendipity is part of a process that I would like to think of in terms of improvisation. So somebody might, uh, in which actually context is very important. So there are certain situations that one may help create or facilitate in which a person may experience serendipity more readily. So to me, that also means that serendipity is an embodied experience and is something that um, you know, in my, in my studies of, say, uh, search engines where you say, oh, I'm, I'm going to take a gamble and click on the first thing that I see as a, and see if that is, is, gives me a serendipitous result. I think, well, yeah, you can, you can design that interface in a particular way or a system in a particular way to, to trigger a person's curiosity. But then you still have to bear in mind where that person is situated. Right. You, or, or what drives somebody. So which is why I'm not so much interested in, for instance, developing a, a serendipitous search engine, but it's far more about creating a setting in which somebody might uh, experience a coincidence. So I yeah. think, and it's so for me, it's more about how does a person, when they encounter a new technology, or well, in the case of ICTs, um, how do they start playing around with that technology um, to figure out what they can do with it? So how do people play with affordances, basically? Uh, and how do they improvise with that? And then maybe they will experience serendipity thinking, oh, wait, yeah, I was looking for um, um, a bicycle shop, you know, very Dutch. Um, and oh, there it is. But, you know, that, um, and that, that to me, <clears throat> also in, in looking at information, retrieval and 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 say recommender systems you know this this uh,
1: there, there's uh, a lot of words you're using here that okay many of our audiences don't know uh mm-hmm. and one of them is affordances uh okay. another is embodiment and uh, the recommender system we can kind of talk about too but yeah. the, the, define embodiment and affordances please
0: so affordance is uh i think it, a term um i don't have my uh all my references are right in front of me here, but from say from, from the seventies, I thought it was Gibson who.
1: It doesn't uh, matter. You, this is, this is but it, an, but it's but it's very not, much about. This is not an academic thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Just tell,
0: us, did, what yeah. is. Just so tell us what
1: affordances. So affordance
0: is what what does say a um, if you if you have a um, a book, you can you can turn its pages. You know, it, 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 the, the artifact, so the book allows you to do certain things with it, and there are certain preferred uses when you're reading a book, uh, turning the pages, reading uh, all the letters, reading the words. But of course, you can also use a book to hit someone on the head. That The book allows you to do that, or you can burn a book. Uh, so that's part of its affordances. It's just not a preferred use. And I think many technologies are designed in particular ways to be intuitive. <laughs> That that allow you to, that kind of stimulate a particular way of engaging with that technology, and, and hence with its affordances. When you can also use technologies, whether it's a hammer, a book, uh, a, a cell phone, in alternative ways, um, and I would call that improvisation. Oh, uh,
1: so if, so improvisa- affordances you are counterposing to uh, to improvisation. Um,
0: I, think, I think affordances are part of improvisation.
1: So yeah. it's, it's, it's like you, you take the, the main use of the book. That book analogy is a really good one. And then you um, say, well, you, you can also hit somebody over the head with it, which, or you can warm your hands with it if you can get a fire going. And that's, that's a really nice analogy, because I didn't understand affordances as the primary use, potential use, or set up use of the thing. Um, the affordances sounded to me like what can you afford Uh, like what can Ah. you what what can you get out of this what does this afford you to be able to do that's what affordances became to me but you're hierarchizing them that a lot of things are have a primary use I mean use is a better word for me I can use the book in this way And I, I, the word affordance just cropped up when I was reading some other paper. What, what afford? It took me a while to figure that out even more, but now you're making it clear, use is a better idea. What are the potential uses of this thing? And what are? what's the primary use for which this thing was intended? Yes. And then your idea is to be able to say there are other potential uses, particularly with technology.
0: Yeah, and this this idea of these alternative uses was actually triggered by research uh, done by uh, Madeleine Akrish uh, about who called different uses of technologies <clears throat> like using excuse me using different scripts that different technologies have affordances that so uses but that you can that each technology has a different use script and then I thought well, wait a minute if a technology has a script. It means you can improvise with it because nobody nobody <laughs> follows a script so i took it very literal also from more per- perhaps the actor perspective
1: yes said that, that
0: i thought yeah but a script is not the way it's going to go down you know it's it's you play with the script and that's how you also get get meaning from something i think you because you
1: uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. okay uh-oh. what do you mean by meaning here
0: well meaning as as in what uh, what a, what a um, reading a book, get like the experience of reading a book or um, um, uh, yeah, how you by playing with, with, well maybe the book analogy doesn't no, really play, it's like the playing is okay but, but, ex- but, play, but playing with the technology in a sense and, and, and discovering what you can do with something and then perhaps using something in an alternative way, so creating your own script, improvising can then give you all sorts of new insights and make you curious about other things. So for me, that and that can lead to serendipitous insights. But for me, it's more about that experience. And when I when I talk about embodiment, it's I think often um, there's a great, especially in in particular kinds of media studies and and um, this focus on the text, you know, the media text. Uh, and I think, <laughs> but it's about so the media text, like a film uh a television show uh podcast or you know an object kind of thing that you can that you can then read and analyze and i think but it's about the act of reading so this it's an embodied experience that that's what i mean with embodied it's not some sort of abstract something going on but that's also why why i think contextualizing the experience of you know experiencing serendipity is is important by drawing it back into the body so to speak
1: yeah uh, and and the body brings it to the to experience and brings it brings it to forgive the 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 word emotion I mean, serendipity is like the only emotion you get with serendipity is surprise and then gratitude that after maybe it works. So you get something yeah. out of it. So it's like uh, that kind of gratefulness to it. But the, what you're doing is, um, is a bit radical within the serendipity business with them trying to be able to make it much more mind it's much more mind. It's that, that the Cartesian split that is so popular in Western science is the mind exists separately from the body yeah. and it's, there's, there's no connection. And there you are uh, knowing that the body is connected. I knew a guy in high school, um, his name was uh, is Dennis Bricker. I still remember him in eighth grade. He, he had this, this drawing of a beaker, of chemistry beaker with a, a little pole coming out of it. And in the beaker was nutrients. And out of the top of the pole was a brain. And the brain existed in this beaker, and that's all it needed. And that was like a def- definition of Western science, yeah, and particularly the way you are, uh, are talking about it. And so you're a bit of a radical, Sabrina.
0: Well, oh, that's, that's always good.
1: it's it's, it's my kind of radical um it's
0: no but it's but it i think it's it's the same with um yeah with acting and also this idea of a a subtext so you know the the intention that may not be entirely explicit that you you perhaps you cannot even voice it but you it's in it's in acting like in in the way which you you behave and I, i don't Want to call myself a hardcore behavioralist or anything, <laughs> but but I. Well, I think you're,
1: you're you're emphasizing the importance of behavior, yeah. In creating serendipity and it just doesn't happen in the moment. It happens in the moments up to the moment. There, there's a lot of things going on, and including the use of intuition, or improvisation, or playing around that yeah. helps. That helps some of this happen. Now, the reason, one of the reason I'm fascinated with the academic approach to serendipity is that uh, for synchronicity, serendipitologists are helping us understand the ways in which to increase meaningful coincidences. And the, the title of my book uh, on coincidence diary, my my own personal coincidence diary, which I've taken like from when I was in like um, eight or nine years old, when I had my first big coincidence, uh, my dog got lost I went to look for him and I got lost and then we found each other and I say hey, hey this is how is. <laughs> and I that was was that a serendipity was that a synchronicity people will argue about it uh, I, I don't know. It's both to me because it was very emotional, but it was very practical as well. And so that's where I, my, one of those first ones. So I put the two of them together. And, yeah. and the title of my coincidence book, uh, as I mentioned to you, was, um, is currently The Dog That Trots About Finds a Bone. That You're not going to have serendipities or synchronicities just sitting in your bedroom most of the time you got to like get out and do something and that helps make things happen and you and you you do that you are you are an actor first you are a movement person first you do you dance
0: yeah well this in the last year hardly but (laughs) (laughs) but uh, yeah yes yeah movement but but even even in, um, say, this um, uh, the serendipity, suppose where, where we where we met, it's also about in this time of being online about talking to many different people, you know, like, and then making that connection. And it's even possible online. I hadn't really, I mean, I do study online media also, but it's not something I had really considered the the making connections. Um, very meaningful connection. Well, well,
1: what happened with you and me? Because we made uh, a connection. Yeah, yes. And, and we might have talked for about a minute or two.
0: Yeah, like three uh, minutes, at, I think.
1: At, uh, if, yeah. at that, that, but somehow I, I want to talk to her some more. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what yeah, I Yeah, me had. too.
0: I thought, I thought, yes, this is so interesting. <laughs> so it was uh, because I thought, I had never thought about synchronicity before. I, uh, because it just never... Uh, because I already feel that me talking about improvisation in a weird. field of serendipity is a lot of work, uh, because then it's like, well, oh, that's kind of frivolous. And it's, you know, what is improvisation? It's theater. You're not in theater studies. Where are you? Uh, you're too interdisciplinary. You have to choose. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, it's, it, I find that a lot quite um, difficult to still to, to, to defend the idea that, that improvisation is very much worthwhile um, uh, in media studies. And, uh, uh, and I think that synchronicity, I had just never encountered that before, strangely enough. But that's probably because if you're, in, if you're reading a lot of serendipity studies, it's just the way you describe it, it's not like they're friends these uh...
1: they're not friends i just asked uh, some of my synchronicity friends and he was pretty clear that serendipity is a lesser idea it's measurable it's academic but synchronicity is like um spiritual and great feeling come out of it and it's like there's some truth there's a little bit of mystical experiences sometimes with synchronicity where just these amazing things happen but why do we have to like separate them out? We're talking about the same problem: your your improvisation uh, being criticized by that embodiment, being criticized by that serendipity is comes a lot from science and from discovery, particularly yes. in medicine. I mean, it's been pharmacology; it's so a lot of stuff coming. So it's all like um, researchy, but. Yeah, Horace Walpole uh, came came up with. A, he was doing a painting thing. I mean, he was. They were artists, uh, but even then, uh, the early serendipity guys were uh, bibliophiles and like finding different books. So it was an information history in in serendipity while in synchronicity there's a more of a psychological and mystical background that came from Jung and and the way Jung was talking about it so these are these again are reflecting the dichotomy in uh, the way people think about the world
0: and and I think that in um, in a field like science and technology studies where there's also quite uh, there is also a focus on invention and uh, the the sociology of invention that it's not so much about somebody having one bright idea one day but that there's a whole process there are certain social actors technological actors that all play a role in this process of discovery and that and that i find that idea i find very appealing of course uh yeah my background is science and technology studies, so of course I find it appealing, but um, that I think yeah, it's not about that one moment. It's that you pick that moment as part of the narrative to, to the discourse around an invention to say, oh, somebody had this one bright idea. Uh, but there's that, that whole process, like you say, people who uh, invent things are very open <laughs> to, uh, to, yeah. to read a lot of many conversations across disciplines. You know, it, I think, I think it's, um, that's why I think it's so interesting to study.
1: The discovery yeah. of penicillin is one of the examples that uh, Samantha Copeland yeah. focuses on and tries to be able to say that uh, when, he, when, he, when Alexander Fleming discovered it, it was still a lot of uh, other events that took place. And when you start looking at some of the events, uh, there are some kind of almost mystical parts of it because the temperature in London at the time this happened uh, was made it more possible among other things for some of the penicillin uh, to, to growth to take place that could then uh, destroy the, the bacteria growing in the Petri dish that Alexander Fleming was able to see look like a halo of inhibition that he had seen before from his own saliva coming onto a Petri dish. So he had made these these connections but there were other variables that came into came into play like the hospital he picked was made had was airy and old enough so that f- f- spores could float around but then there was guys who were doing this research upstairs or downstairs with with the penicillin mold that could hit that could come down to hit his petri dish and there was a history of people looking for what he was looking for but he was able to see it but to me the most important part of that was that he never would have been known for anything had the penicillin um, mold juice not gone to Oxford as a flax cleaner and then maybe being used as something uh, as, a, as as killing some bacteria, maybe in a mouse or a guinea pig and they picked the right one to do it with because it would have killed the other one. And then to get it, the best worst thing to get it mass-produced in Peoria, Illinois, relied on a woman that they called Moldy Mary, which is awful because yeah. she, she would, without getting all that penicillin produced, he never would have won the Nobel Prize in 1945 because it helped reduce a lot of the fa- fatalities in uh, Western soldiers. Uh, she, Moldy Mary ran across the penicillin mold in a Peoria marketplace she worked for uh, the group that was able to that had the vats that could grow the stuff and she's been ignored in history she was a vital part of the whole thing But Fleming and two other guys got the Nobel Prize. So I'm saying this whole thing only for our audience to know something about context and what Mm -hmm. Samantha Copeland at the Serendipity Society is trying to bring out and what you currently are trying to say. So let's say you're among friends here. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> let's say, talk to us about how you facilitate serendipity, and I hope you'll tell me what you think synchronicity means somewhere along the line. Uh, how how serendipity, how you the things that you do, which include affordances, which we've defined, help increase what uh, synchronicity experiences people have. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, to to um, thank you for that question. Yeah. Uh, Right now, and I recently published a paper about this, but it, it, the example is just, I think it's, it's very rich. So <clears throat> um, uh, I've, been, I've been working uh, with uh, this nonprofit uh, uh, called Transformatorio, so like t- uh, Italian version of to transform, transformation, uh, in, in social innovation to look at how Particular in this in this particular case, um, ghost towns in uh, in Italy, like Sicily, can be you know um, in in line with say European um, uh, innovation goals can be uh, populated once more you know because people are leaving these more rural cities to, to go uh, yeah it, and that's and that's a problem <clears throat> and in this this project that uh, that we collaborated on or that I was just lucky enough to observe. So I'm not one of the initiators of that project, but um, I, I went along uh, with, with some of the development there, was to bring together local community in a particular town with uh, a group of designers, but also performance artists, uh, graphic designers, a uh, very, very varied, group of um, experts, whether it was in, in um, blockchain technology or dance, like all sorts of people together in these transformation exercises.
1: To try to bring these ghost towns back to life.
0: Yeah, but not from a, I would say, I would call it a, maybe a bit jargony, but not, not from a top-down perspective, like, oh, you're going to bring 20 people in they're going to help you figure it all out. And then they leave, you know, that, that, that's not the idea. So it was about sustainable social innovation, which meant that you have to create something that um, uh, I would call a, you know, narrative space. So a place where local community and these, this, this bunch of experts or, you know, Come together to talk about what is going on in the community and just take a and and beside that there's this what i would call a design space so where you might want to develop something together based on what people are talking about that they need um or, or want whether it's performance or or an actual technology or well, like, a, like a technological artifact, like a, an app or something. I don't, you know, that's maybe a bad example, but, uh, but you bring people together to, and you prepare this, right? It's not that you just throw people together in a room and then hope that something will happen, but you prepare this by giving, um, say, this group of artists, designers, an assignment of look at the local spaces, go, go and check out these buildings um talk to people on the street uh figure out what local co- companies are or what's happening here and um, and in this collaboration you then create this space where people can actually uh share ideas and become inspired by one another i think it's a bit of hay fever Oh,
1: I, 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 th- I think this is so exciting for you to be able to, to describe it as uh, some of what you're talking about. Because uh, to be able to bring a lot of people together and have them be, let me say, citizen scientists, to just use regular words, um, that people like where they're out investigating what's going on in, their, in this community, trying to see what they can see, talk to people. Because the people on the streets are then from the streets. They know what's going on there, rather than coming from the outside. So you're able to you, you're able to put all these stories together. And the funny thing that happens is that you get people seeing different parts of the town coming together and saying some of the same things, and you see some of the same things coming together in a in a way that that you can then systematize to help create a potential plan for how uh, the, the the project can proceed, rather than people who come from the outside and say, this is how you've got to do it. And then they leave. Yeah. They're invested in it. Yes. And it's, what, it's
0: about, it's about owner owning. Oh, it's that about ownership.
1: It. It's it, agency is, I mean, this thing about free will is really a fun question for me. Um, and do we have free will or not is not the right question. It's how much we have and how much we're willing to be able to assume uh, and act on. And this and what you're trying to do is show people agency that maybe some of them don't know that they have. Yes. This is a wonderful thing to be able to help people do. So this yeah. this is there's a old Detroit song called Dancing in the Streets. <laughs> Dancing in the streets. And you are getting people to dance in the streets uh improvisationally by acting and interacting with each other to come up well, with new possibilities.
0: And what was so interesting about uh, one of the one of the groups uh, one participant of say the experts was a um, was was an expert in design design thinking which is a, a particular way of um, designing starting from say a problem um, that is uh, yeah it, it's a particular approach <laughs>
1: Something about the participants were able to come up with stuff. Would you tell us about that?
0: Yeah. As a, one of the participants, so he's a designer, um, said that he had been in many design processes where, uh, which, which on paper were, say, user-led, you know, you invite the end user into the design process. And he said that actually this was so unique, this experience of going to this town, spending only a week there so that's not even you know it's not like you're staying there for months but meeting so many people and being allowed to kind of let their minds wander and as they were themselves wandering through the town that he said i instead of thinking in terms of designing where apparently the the jargony term there is to pivot you know to to have an idea and then to completely change your idea but to just go into that process with the people in the town there to come up with, uh, in, in their case, they came up with a with an idea to uh, create a kind of a, um, um, a system that would alert people to, um, say, landslides, because th- that town had been traumatized by a, a landslide 10 years prior, where quite a few people died, because in only a few minutes, lots of rain fell, and just part of the town was wiped, was just swept away. So this town was still traumatized by that. And to actually get people to talk about that, and and he said the experience of really engaging with people about what what was not just on their mind but what you could feel in the entire town, that he said is, um, you know, we, we recorded or actually. Um, the organizers there, uh, in the town, recorded him saying that. That he said this was one of the most profound experiences of my life, to have experienced this process, and that to me, when I saw that footage, I thought, okay, this is really what I'm very interested in, and I think this is what connects to um, the, how you speak about synchronicity, because so? I feel so? I feel that he experienced and i I should interview him about this i think experienced uh synchronicity with a particular community with people in that community and and that you know to be on the same level of thinking and it to me it it relates then and here i'm going a little bit out of my comfort zone i think but to empathy also yeah yeah it's very much about empathy in being able to connect to somebody on a different level and not think about, okay, we're going to design a system and then, you know, people will be alerted in case there's lots of rainfall. It's about feeling along with what is actually on people's minds um, and talking about trauma, you know, things that people, you know, trauma, you don't have the words to talk about it when you are traumatized. So, for some, in, in some way, creating that narrative space and design space, you know, as abstract concepts, but just creating that space, that setting allowed people to interact with, with each other in a way that gave them this idea to create this very, I guess, concrete technology. But I think what this participant was saying was not so much about, oh, I came up with a great new technology. It was about, I actually had a very profound connection to a person. And um, that is something that I think in, in the serendipity literature is not something that is discussed. Uh, and, and that's why I think synchronicity would be very valuable. Um, synchronicity,
1: synchronicity is about emotional connections. Uh, one of my most popular posts, and psychology today is about um, romance. Um, Because there's so many coincidences around romance and people misread them sometimes to think, oh, this is meant to be. And it's only a hint that it might be something and meant to be maybe for a minute or an hour or a couple of days or a week doesn't necessarily mean a lifetime but a lot of people think this is the person I'm going to marry, but still that that's interpersonal that's emotional and serendipity tends to be so cognitive that to what, what I've done with the Coincidence Project and the Coincidence Ambassadors is gather together people who I have already interviewed, kind of like I'm interviewing you of the 138 interviews I've had. We got now about 25 people, of which uh, Serendipitologist Sanda uh, Erdelitz is part of and has been part of and trying to see what happens because we just get them together and yeah. try to see what happens. And and a lot of the people don't show up again because they're busy academics or doing other things. But we've got about a core of six or eight people who come regularly. And so we want to see what properties emerge from this. Emergence is a big idea, but a, 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 it's, a, it's an important one now too. When you When you put all these people together, what's going to happen? You don't yeah. know. And you want to create the environment for it to happen without trying to direct it so one of them says hey let's let's meet more often than once a month and in a more formal way and somebody else says let's call it the coincidence cafe and then another one says at the coincidence cafe you can drink synchronicity or or serendipity and they were playing with it so now uh like we're having our second or third meeting on on saturday and there seemed to be a lot of people because they invited other people each person we don't know what's going to happen from that but it's like watching it happen by giving a context for it it sounds something like what you're what you're talking about
0: yeah and then um it's interesting the way you're talking about as well that there's no preset narrative there right it's emergent so it's it's just see what happens. And I think that's where, um, that's where you, well, if you collect a lot of curious people together, I think you're gonna get a very good conversation. Uh, yeah,
1: it's, it's, so, it's to use your term, we've created a narrative space. Yeah, yeah. And a narrative space is again, academic words are problematic. It's yeah. a place to tell stories. Yeah, place to talk about yourself or talk about ideas you've got. That's, yeah. and then it's so so the there are, are people who are part of this saying, hey, we should keep a record of how we're doing this. So it can be understood. But you are describing, I think, how we are doing this mm-hmm. uh, by creating spaces for dance, and I like dance. I dance myself uh, when I can. And uh, I like the improvisation that comes to the music and the time and the people who are around all influence how you're feeling. But let's, we're, we're coming toward the end of this. And here's another, uh, let me say, uh, radical idea that for, for the serendipitologist, but probably not for you. Uh, you've talked uh, earlier about being able to feel the audience feel what the audience wants. You've talked before we got on the show talking about one of your um, maybe students who come up to you and you pick up things, let me say intuitively from that student. Well, that, uh, that intuition, that picking up stuff um, that, you, that you get from an audience or from a student also happens on the dance floor where you can pick up the energy in the room and i'm going to use the word energy because what's being neglected in modern science is not only the energy around a person's body and how that waxes and wanes but more importantly the energy that can happen between two people and so I'll suggest to you because it's happened to me with um, the person from Denmark who did an anthropological thing in the, in the Netherlands uh, with ayahuasca at an ayahuasca church in the Netherlands, which you probably haven't wow. heard of. No. Um, she, she, it's, she's this, she's a very solid Dane. And there she was doing anthropological research with ayahuasca at an ayahuasca church in the Netherlands. I mean, there's <laughs> a lot of wacky stuff going on out there, but this is, on the edge research and what she saw taking ayahuasca which is a a psychedelic usually from the amazon uh, she could see energy between people she could see energy between hearts she could see it and how it strengthened and weakened and i could i could feel energy with people but the funny thing that I've noticed with this, this Dane in particular uh, is that I can feel her energy and mine connecting over the video screen, mm-hmm. over Zoom. So somehow the Zoom technology or this interactive thing here, through the technology, we can experience interpersonal energy without knowing how, without Without having to be in the same space, so what do you what do you think about energy interpersonal as well as around the own person themselves? Oh, that's
0: that's hard. Um, I I think much especially when in a teaching contest uh, context. I think in a in a classroom setting, I I use that. I tune into people's energy. I think all the time. You know, you can, um, I often think of it as, um, you have a hundred students in a room, you can feel the lights go out. That's how I, how I often describe it to others that I think, yeah, you can feel the energy just go away, you know, and that's when you stop and you say, what's going on? You know, what's, uh, you know, did you have a late night? (laughs) What's going on in the class? Am I not interesting? Is this, uh, Is it too difficult, too easy? Because you can feel the energy in the room. And I think that's, um, it's the same as, uh, I mean, I haven't been like acting on a stage in a long time now, but I think it is similar that you have a certain sensitivity, of course, to your audience, but also to your, the people with whom you're on the stage, right? You, You have your own concentration, your shared concentration uh, and I think that in acting school, we had many exercises that were um, about creating synchronicity, about like walk in a circle, blindfolded, and then try to start running at the same time without seeing one another. <laughs> you know, it's it's about feel the other's presence. Yeah. And I think that that is very, uh, that when I teach, I use that a lot. And I think over... In the situation that we're in now, where I teach online a lot, it still works. You know, you can feel people not being present. It's not just about sharing a the screen there, or or people chatting, or you can just feel it when people are not listening. And um, but it takes a different focus of the person who's speaking. I think that it, that
1: it it, take, that, it takes the willingness to believe that you have this way of picking up information from your environment. You have to believe that first, have some support for it, which you got through your acting training and probably before, because you've been like this before. So it's like just augmented something that you already have. You have to believe it. And I believed it for a long time. And I'm just glad that I'm seeing other people confirm that we can do energy and that you can do it online. Is what we like to call far out and groovy,
0: but this, but this probably also. Uh... You know, it connects to studies into energy, like uh, what is it, like spiritual studies into Reiki and stuff like that, right? Over distance, or or uh,
1: that's healing that,
0: over distance.
1: That that one, I, I the difference between doing it while you're in person, kind of thing, and doing it over distance is a real conundrum for me, because uh, I I don't it's it's a question that I love and I don't have a good answer for. Um, I had an experience of feeling the pain of my father. Uh, while he was dying he was choking I was choking 3,000 miles away at the same time and there are other experiences like that how yep. does how does that happen well
0: that that just I have that the same with my father that when we often call one another when we're thinking about each other yep. so that he's already walking to the phone
1: when because you because
0: he's and then I call or that when I have a migraine, he has a migraine. And I call him and I say, oh, do you have, yeah, me too. So maybe that's hair pressure, I don't know, but-
1: No, 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 that- there's, there's, <laughs> there's, that's the old definition of telepathy, to feel the pain of a loved one at a distance. So mm-hmm. you're having that experience that's within the synchronicity, not so much within the serendipity thing. So I'm glad to welcome you into the ser- synchronicity direction.
0: Yeah, yeah because- it's great. I'm really excited to, to, well, to have met you. But then also, I think this opens up a whole new area for me to explore from this improvisation perspective, which is very much about acting, you know, about doing something. Yeah. And I think the synchronicity, then perhaps for me, then goes to that energy level.
1: It, it and, right? we'll, and I'll, I'd like to see where else it goes, but we we have to we have to wrap up this wonderful yeah. conversation. And uh, I'm 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 glad to stimulate your synchronicity node in your brain, on uh, your mind, um, and see where it goes. Um, so it's been delightful talking with you, Sabrina. Thank you very much for talking with me.
0: Thank you for yeah. Thank you also for this conversation. Really great. Yeah. This
1: psychosphere
0: is our mental atmosphere Like a hologram of cosmic consciousness